Welcome to God and Narcissism, where we talk about how narcissistic abuse impacts your relationship with yourself, others, God, and the church. We are three mental health therapists with different spiritual backgrounds who graduated from seminary and are all survivors of narcissistic abuse. I'm Sam. I'm Mia. And I'm Presley. This This is God and Narcissism. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of God and Narcissism. Today, we will be talking about triggers that adult children of narcissists often have with the church, and more specifically, the ones that we have had with the church and what we might have heard some of our clients say. But before we get into that, Presley has uh, decided to address the elephant in the room. Um, We just wanted to acknowledge that it's been a bit of a break between this episode and our last episode. Um, and just wanted to say, like, things got crazy with the holidays, and, um, a lot of us are in transitions right now with some personal stuff, but we are back and excited to be more consistent, and, yeah, I'm just really glad to be with you guys today. I missed it. Oh, yeah, I missed it, too. Me, too. So, when we were talking about what we were going to do for this episode, Mia, you had said what you wanted to do today, like, the topic that we already introduced, and then you said yeah, something like spiritual amnesia. And I was like, I actually don't know what that is. And we said, we're going to save it for the podcast. So I would love to jump right into that and figure out what exactly that means. Of course. And full disclaimer, it is a made up phrase. (laughs) This does not exist out there, though. Um, Sam and I would love to just put it in the DSM. Uh, We were joking. uh, The code could be F77.7. Spiritual amnesia. Yeah, spiritual amnesia. Chronic, severe. Yeah, that's what I have. So I wanted to start with that because possibly for others of you, um, it's not like you're going to have these symptoms all the time, right? Sometimes you're not triggered by the same stuff you'll be triggered by the next day. And one thing that Sam and I realized was this actually happens on a theological and spiritual level. Sometimes I will know all about Christ. I'll know so much stuff from my seminary training. I'll be able to talk to people about it, evangelize, feel a lot of peace with the Lord. And then the next hour, it's like gone. It's like I'm asking the basic questions like, how is one saved? You know? And so that's kind of what we've called spiritual amnesia. Yeah, yeah. Like one day... I can go into church and be totally fine and understand exactly what they're talking about and how it applies. And then the next day I walk in and it's like, wait, are they saying I'm worthless? I think I'm worthless. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're right about that, which the day before I would have been able to like help someone else out who's going through the same thing. And then suddenly I've forgotten all the answers. So it's like when, when I get triggered, suddenly I have spiritual amnesia and I can't remember what I believe anymore. Yeah. And I've, I've freaked my priest out with this a lot because I'll ask him things. He's like, you just told me the answer to that. Like last time we talked and it's like, yeah, I, I have this issue where I could be reading scripture and like, got it. Awesome. Next day I read the same passage. Like, wow, is this just telling me off right now? Does God hate me? Does God hate me? So we've decided to call that spiritual amnesia. What do you think, Presley? Oh, I see. Um, I relate to what you're saying, but I think I'm thinking about it differently. So I'm curious what y'all think about what I think. (laughs) But I'm kind of thinking like, I usually boil that down to like, I don't trust myself. Like I don't Uh trust my interpretation. Yes. So then I'm like, okay, but 
yeah, I said that, but I'm me. You know what I mean? So I'm just like wondering. Yeah, I guess I'm like, sometimes I'm confident in it, but then the whole like gaslighting yourself and like Mm -hmm. trusting yourself comes in, but I don't feel like I totally forget like what I, what conclusion I came to. I just don't know that I trust the conclusion I came to. Nice. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. I think it's about not being able to trust yourself, Okay. which over the years, I think is starting to become one of the worst symptoms of what we've gone through. Yes. Um, but for me, I actually do forget. Sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've called it amnesia. But, you know, like in the DSM, we're thinking this could be on a spectrum. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like there's there's certain scripture passages that I struggle with. Like, for instance, turn the other cheek. Mm. Like, love your enemies. That sort of stuff. And I've worked through it. I've written blogs about how I worked through it. And then I'll be reading it again. And I'm like wait, I don't remember anything. And yeah. and then I have to work through it all over again, which frustrates my husband sometimes because he's very, very graciously trying to answer the same questions for me over and over and over again. Yes, mm-hmm. my husband will say the same thing. Like, didn't we just have a conversation we, on you, that? You know this. You know this. <laughs> You've told people the answer to this. And it's the turn the other cheek one for me as well. There's so many different things in the Bible like that where, you know, like your blogs, Sam, I'm like, yes, that makes sense. Now I feel settled next day. Not settled again. What the heck did she say? <laughs> That's really an issue. I also wonder if it's that thing we all struggle with, with like, well, yeah, of course it applies to you, but like, to me, it doesn't apply, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then it's like, well, why do you think you're so unique? Da, 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 da. And then you get into that spiral. <laughs> oh, I have a lot of clients um, that, that get to that yeah. place. Of, you know, you ask, you ask someone, would you say that to your friend or would you expect that from someone else? No, of course not. But for them, it, it doesn't apply. And it's, it goes back to the same thing because I don't trust myself mm-hmm. and I always get the same things from them as I feel myself. But what if I'm manipulative? Like, what if I'm secretly toxic? What if I'm just, you know, trying to get attention or secondary gains? Like, it always comes back to second guessing who you are and what your intentions are. Which you have to do if you're going to attach to your parent and you have to attach to your parent to survive. So, yeah, um, I'm thinking like the line that I feel most relates is like, I'm so uniquely bad Mm -hmm. or like corrupt that like it couldn't possibly apply to me he's not talking about me people like me right and then also what you said about attachment um I talked about yesterday with someone is like I think when you're a like a newborn with that situation it's like you attach by taking on the burden of somebody else yes or by like meeting the need that's there and so you don't really attach in like a way where like you're just being held because you're you it's mm-hmm. like you're being held because you took this on for them. And so that's your only way to attach. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, no, I've it's lost good. words for what I'm trying to say. No, I think that's deep into it. Yeah. It gets into yeah. a lot of child <clears throat> development stuff. I don't feel safe with you, but I need you. So do I not feel safe with you or do I not feel safe with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to do an episode one of these days just taking people through the attachment, attachment. process, child development, because yeah. um, that, that I think, will be really relieving for listeners as it was for us, because it it gets straight to this biological 
thing that we're wired for, that this actually has more to do with um, the early stages of development that you couldn't control. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into it then, what triggers you guys either about the church or in church? So, <laughs> oh, I cracked. <laughs> oh, right, before, before you, while you clear that out, disclaimer, <coughs> we, again, base, kind of like similar to spiritual amnesia, we're not saying this stuff triggers us all the time, and please hear us, when we're talking about our triggers, we're not saying the church is actually like this. Now, there is going to be a portion probably in here where we're saying, maybe it is, maybe this is a both-and situation, mm-hmm. okay? But we're not really sitting here trying to throw stones at the church right now. We think that, of course, there are things for the church to work on that make us a little bit angry or stirred up, but it's that weird line that you can't find between how much of this is me and how much of this is what's actually going on. So we're all trying to figure that out. So please don't hear us taking a definite stance one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I was going to say so many things <laughs> <laughs> are triggering. Um, okay. So I would say the two that I'm most aware of um, and are most consistent for me is watching families or parenting while I'm there, like in the service. And then also um, when they talk about serving. So mm getting plugged in to serving the church, um, giving, like even with like money. Um, so anything where it's like, you're supposed to serve or give to the church, which I know is right, like and good. Um, but it's super triggering and I'm very skeptical and like very like hard on how they're presenting it. Um, and then I would say like, generally I just get this like response in my body when I start to feel unsafe, either when there's like a guest speaker or, you know, the sermon, says something that's triggering, but I'm not, like, completely aware of why, but I, like, I'm very familiar with, like, how my body responds when I'm feeling unsafe at the church, um, but those are the two that I'm, like, most aware of, but yeah. Can you say more about, um, how you feel triggered by families? Yeah, so it's kind of confusing, (laughs) because I'll either see them, like, respond, like, sorry, the child doing, like, normal, appropriate developmental things like not being able to sit still, not paying attention, like coloring, um, anything like that. And then the parents like responding really well by either like allowing their kids to roam or just getting up and following them silently or, um, just whatever it might be that's like appropriate and kind. And I'll get like a flash of what I think I experienced. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, or, like, what I expected the parent to do that they didn't do, and then I get, like, really upset by that. Or I'll see these little kids, like, primmed and proper, and these, like, perfect dresses, and, like, worshipping, and, like, crying while they're worshipping at, like, seven, and I question it, and I'm like, what's really going on mm-hmm. there? Not that it couldn't be, like, I think that definitely could be, you know, healthy, but then I'm also, like, is this a show? You know, whatever. Um, and so like either way, it's like, I'm either skeptical of the family and I think like they're really bad outside of church and I like, am worried about them or I'm like, Oh, y'all are like really healthy and sweet and care for each other and whatever. And I'm really like grieved. That makes sense to me. Um, (laughs) families, families at church are triggering. Yeah. When I see like really loving gestures between parents and kids at first I kind of doubt it and I'm like are they just doing that to display that here which my parent would do sometimes you know some of the most affection I ever got 
was in church, you know? Um, but then other times you can kind of tell it's genuine and you start a little bit into that grieving period before you gaslight yourself and say, it wasn't that bad. What are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, wow, you know, I guess that's what that's like. I don't think I really experienced that. Yeah. Or it's like, why are you making things up? Like, that's how it was for you too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> Cause you don't have like solid memories of it sometimes. Yeah. Sam, you got anything on families? Not really on families, but going to serving, like, I feel like I've definitely heard plenty of clients say similar things with serving, especially if they weren't taught boundaries growing up. It sounds a lot like the church is asking them to give absolutely everything. Like self-sacrifice for the yes. church. Yeah. And, yeah. and it sounds a lot like what their parent required, where you need to drain yourself completely dry for me. And you're not allowed to have your own time or your own needs or anything. And and I've, I've known plenty of people who have actually tried to kind of have the same relationship with the church as with their parent. And they did end up getting very burnt out and leaving, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I will say that there is a mentality that I've seen in a lot of churches, not all of them, um, where pouring most of your life into the church is really encouraged (laughs) and overworking is encouraged. Um, and so it it almost, it's weird because like we boast, um, a faith-based theology, not a works-based theology, but we're all working really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so when you're coming from a situation like ours, seeing that you're like, Oh, this is the same thing. I've got to, I've got to work really hard here. And going off of serving, like, know how many sermons I've heard where people are basically talking about how we need to evangelize and be missionaries in a certain way. It's like scrape your family across the coals, give up everything that you own, go to Africa and preach there. And you start to wonder like, if I don't do those things, am I just like a really lazy Christian? Am I just picking and choosing a comfy life for myself? disobedient? Yeah. (laughs) That's the one I get into. Right. My disobedient child. It's very confusing. Mm. It's like, well there's also a verse that says live quietly and work with your hands and it's like which is it (laughs) do you want me to stay here or do you want me to go um i also used to hear people say things like if you feel too comfortable then Mm -hmm. your faith probably isn't doing well god wants to to shake you up you know you always you always got to be worried which is the direct you know thing that we experience with our parents it's that hyper vigilance you know, if you're comfortable, are you really worshiping God as he is? Or are have you made up your own God who <sighs> just wants Ew. you to have everything you want? And there's the self-trust and, thing. Yes. I don't know what if I am <laughs> like that. I'm just tickling my ears with what I want to hear. Uh-huh. Yeah. If I feel too comfortable or even feel like God loves me, I'm probably just, you know, picking and choosing what's. Does he really love me or am I doing something wrong? Right. And, yeah. Yeah, something I'm thinking about is, like, I feel like every time something's said from the pulpit that sounds shame-based, I get triggered, or I question it. But then I wonder, is everyone else hearing this as shame-based, or is it me? Because I've I've asked, and, like, some people are like, I didn't hear any shame at all. It was They were just saying that. But then, like, I think even with you guys in chapel sometimes, we would be mm-hmm. horrified <laughs> looking at each other and just, like hating our lives so I'm just like so are they being shame-based and this is like them or is it like me hearing that 
Well, I've and that's even, the question. <laughs> there was a professor that we all know who mm-hmm. I would see at some of these chapel things, and he told me every time he puts his head down and goes on his phone, that means he's upset. And though during those times, he would get like that. And I've been in communication with him about some of this triggering stuff. And he says, yeah, there absolutely is an issue in the church right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he admits, I also have a trauma background. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, like, what's, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. This has been something that I've actually been struggling with a lot lately. Because a lot of times I felt like in the past, oh, it's just me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just hearing things that aren't there. Which, yes. Sometimes that is absolutely true. Yeah. But I feel like, at least within Protestant evangelicalism, there's also this pattern of, and I don't know if this is actually the case or if it's just what I'm seeing, that conviction is kind of like what we see as the ultimate way of getting people to change. Mm-hmm. And we, we say that conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, but every sermon, not every sermon, but like 90% of them, <laughs> most messages are aimed at making sure people feel bad about something. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like growing up in the church, you're coming like every Sunday and every Sunday you're hearing, okay, you need to do this more. You haven't done this right. If you did do it right, check your motives. Are you doing it for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. And so there are all these messages of, okay, you're never going to be perfect, and we're all broken people here, we're all sinful, but you need to keep doing this, and you need to keep trying that, and you need to... And hearing that all the time, I feel like it's super triggering, and it just piles up, because at least for me, it feels a lot like growing up with a narcissistic parent who where you feel like you're never good enough, and you're never going to be good enough, because it's like every time you try to meet their expectations, they move the goalposts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's all about conviction um, to the point where I think we've made some pretty funny jokes about that um, <laughs> in our spare time that we won't say here. But there's uh, this idea that if you're not feeling convicted, again, it goes back to that comfortable thing. If you're not feeling convicted, then are you really in touch with the Lord? But I start, I start to get... I think our, our listeners know I'm in Eastern Orthodoxy now, but back when I was a, a Protestant, and I'm not saying all Protestant churches are like this, but the ones I was going to, the churches I visited, I was getting really weary because I'm already walking in doubting myself, yeah. hating myself, questioning my judgment, and they're just confirming it. Yep, hate yourself. He must increase, you must decrease. Yep, you've got to go do this and the other thing. Yep, shouldn't trust yourself. Yep, totally depraved. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Yeah, <laughs> evil runs to the heart of every man. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm like, well, I already knew that. I didn't have to come here to get that. And so it's like kicking someone when they're down. But it seems like from their view, they're like, you know, they almost, a lot of pastors, it feels like are viewing their flock as a bunch of lukewarm guys, mm-hmm. lukewarm businessmen who can't really be bothered. And they kind of want to shake them and stir them up and try and get them invested and see that there is a problem. But I feel like with all the trauma that's happened in our culture right now, I think a lot of us are actually more on the other side Mm -hmm. than on the lukewarm side. And I'm also thinking that these pastors are kind of, I think there's a disconnect. And so they kind of preach out of their own stuff as well, which is great. But it's just lacking nuance for the people who aren't that lukewarm business guy who just needs to do more in his life. 
Well, if conviction is everything, which I, I think conviction is super important, like don't get me wrong, like it's important for people to sometimes feel guilty about doing bad things. That does... To prevent narcissism. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think conviction is the only thing that brings about change. Sometimes encouragement does and sometimes like support does. Like, Whereas I feel like the church or a lot of the churches that I've gone to, for instance, like if you take any issue like workaholism they're going to come at it from a well workaholism is worshiping work it's making an idol out of work that's a sin you need to worship god instead whereas like if i were working with a client who's a workaholic uh, that's not exactly the approach i would take it, it would be more like okay well your body needs rest god has designed your body to need rest and like kind of helping them understand those things and learn how to take care of their bodies versus well you're sinning right now stop that's you got to do this instead that is the same thing uh, with when I was talking about shame and self-hatred I get a lot of well you know shame and self-hatred is really a secret form of pride like <laughs> great that's helpful I don't know how that helps me but now I just feel more shame because now I know it's pride and then I feel shame for that shame and now I'm just going to be in a circle forever like how is that helpful exactly I'm prideful and now I'm a narcissist <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> no not here again and I agree with you there's a certainly a place for conviction but there's also like in Paul's epistles he's encouraging the congregations or sometimes he's telling them what they're doing right novel like I feel like we're all really afraid like if we say we're doing anything right then it means we're going to get prideful and it means that we're going to become narcissists we're going to pat ourselves on the back or what if we're falling into a workspace salvation I feel like Protestants are really really scared of saying we're doing anything right you give someone a compliment glory to God it's not me like oh my gosh like we are really swinging the other way here yeah, that really reminds me of the line that, like, this makes me so angry. Like, there's nothing that makes me want to walk out of a building more than when a pastor or anyone says, die to self. Mm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't take it. Mm. Yeah, and so this is what that's all reminding me of, is, like, you need rest, we'll die to yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to be serving, even when you're, like, serving yourself to the point of, like, literally sickness like I mm -hmm. once my organs were failing because I was so overworked and I was told I need to go to community group more and that's oh, why my goodness. that's why I was struggling is because I didn't do enough community group oh, wow gosh you're gonna fail medical exams that's not okay <laughs> right yeah. like so yeah it's like okay let's like die to self enough to like literally like, I don't think a parent would want to see their child go through that. I right. mean, to say that, like, mm -hmm. that's what God wants for you is so confusing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like God, it's, <clears throat> by their definition, it'd be like saying God says he loves the world, but he doesn't want you to love yourself. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, I would never <laughs> say that to someone I love. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think with the conviction, it's like, I think it's the difference between, like, being a loving parent who wants to correct their child for their sake hmm. versus like being a parent who wants to shame their child into behaving a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. and I think that like we tend to probably not purposefully do the second one mm -hmm. because yeah. we're, we don't, we don't have a relationship with each other like we should, I think like in the church. Yeah. And then we want to be like, I'm not trying to shame you. 
but I, as your sister in Christ, I'm trying to lovingly call you out for something I've noticed. Oh, it always starts that way. And, like, I just, and it's like that Christianese talk people talk about. Yeah, yes. And it's just so upsetting. Like, yeah. I'm, like, internally exhausted by this conversation already. (laughs) It's just, like, it's so frustrating. But, yeah. Every time, like, I try to bring these kinds of things up, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, too, but usually the pushback I get is, well, the culture is, like, all about the self, and the culture that we live in is very Mm -hmm. selfish, so the church is trying to speak against that. Okay, so I've been curious about that because I'm, like, I have a really high um, view of cultures who are communal, Mm-hmm. versus like like we're in America right so it's very much individualized and so it's like we I think we're striving to do something communal as a church in an individualized culture but instead of learning from those cultures who are communal we silence them and then try to tell them what that's supposed to be like in an individualized way and so that's also something I've thought about is like I just want to like go live in a communal culture but like I also don't want to join something that like wasn't meant for me (laughs) like I don't know do y'all ever think about that what Uh, what are your thoughts on that yes actually in uh joining eastern orthodoxy um I'm Antiochian Orthodox, and so a lot of the people at my church are from Lebanon, Syria, those places where the culture is more collectivistic. So a good chunk of our church is made up of those people, and the community there, the fellowship there, is very, very unlike fellowship I've ever experienced. Um, I don't mean this to be like a shameless plug or anything. I'm just saying (laughs) from the place where I've been to now, it feels more like family. And when people used to say church is like family before, I used to get this little, you know, like my eyes roll. (laughs) (laughs) Like just because we're being presentational with each other does not mean that we're family. You know, you'll see people like, I'll give you a bundt cake because your parent died. You know, great. Thanks for mowing my lawn. But like, on this side of things, it's like people, I feel like people really know who you are and there is a sense of moving together that I really enjoyed. And, um, even their theology is very much based in that community sense, which I think the Bible supports Mm -hmm. of how we're communing with God and each other instead of all just intellectual, which is there too. It's in the doing, just like their worship styles in the doing of it and communing, not in the understanding, the grasping what you're doing necessarily, Mm -hmm. which is great to do. But when we're doing it, we're doing it together and it's an experience. And uh, I really, really love that. Yeah, I just wish we could do church more messy. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish messy was modeled. Mm. Yeah. You know, I thought about that. Like, we were uh, praying, like, the whoever was there in the morning we were like praying all together and I was just like had this anxiety of like it has to sound this way and listening to other people but and I thought to myself like I wish somebody who like wasn't comfortable would do it Mm -hmm. and like you could just hear the messy because I think it would do so much for the people who are uncomfortable because like Mm -hmm. afterwards I found out like half the people there don't like praying out loud because it's anxiety provoking Mm -hmm. and then I think you get that generation who's like your generation can't do anything because you're just so crippled by anxiety oh snowflakes yeah yeah um and so it's like interesting and I'm like well maybe it's because you y'all only present this like perfectionistic 
way of doing it and it's like if y'all would be vulnerable and be messy about it then we would feel like com- like permission to do that not saying that's all their responsibility but I just I was just thinking like I wish people just like did things poorly sometimes it's been really a rough transition for me because I'm a I'm a musician and so um, I'm very used to singing things the correct way in a beautiful way and then we all get embarrassed if it goes wrong in my church now I'm part of the chanters group and they'll repitch in like the middle of a song they'll swallow we'll do things weird and it used to freak me out we, we barely even rehearse. I wish we still did, by the way. But, I mean, we... It's just all over the place. We'll have people who can't really sing in tune sometimes. And I just got such bad anxiety because I was like, what is wrong with you people? Like, I just did so much wrong. Over time, though, I'm seeing that no one in the congregation and no one at the chant stand is saying anything. And there we're all... It, it's really about just us singing these words and understanding and worshiping and no one's expecting that kind of perfection and someone did finally sit me down when I was talking about this and they said hey look like this is not about a show and I know you don't mean it to be a show but you really just have to relax and go with the flow that no one's expecting this to be the musical experience you know, this is just singing from your heart, and all of us here, we're, we're going to keep messing up. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to do this wrong. That's awesome. Um, but also, I wanted to say back to um, the self-love and the culture that you were saying, Sam. I'm starting to feel like there's a difference that's not being acknowledged in churches. Um, between The difference between self-love, self-care, and self-worship I think mm-hmm. they mean to say self-worship, but they're saying self-love without defining their terms. Yeah, like, what would y'all say die to self really means, like, biblically versus, like, how people talk about it in the church? That is a great question, because on the one hand, like, yes, I think people in the church are, it's like, sometimes just not really defining their terms, and they they mean something else. When they're saying self-love is bad, they mean self-worship is bad. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I don't think they mean that, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Because I feel like there's there's also, like, this phobia of the self that's built up in reaction to the culture and individualism. Where, kind of like you said, Presley, instead of, like, taking, like, taking the example of more communi- community-oriented cultures, we're like, well, individualism isn't working like idolizing the self is bad so let's just erase the self let's get rid of that and let's die to ourselves which means just focus on god just focus on him pretend you're not here and if you're here that's bad you need to just lose yourself in christ lose yourself in the holy spirit lose yourself in god there needs to be no you and I don't think that's right. I mean, at, at what point then would we be like, why bother creating us in the first place? Right. You know, clearly God created us for some reason and loves us for some reason, you know. Which it comes across as God doesn't want me, God wants him. him. The more I look like Christ, the more I don't look like me, the more the more he's going to be okay with just kind of letting me squeak by. Yeah. Which I, is, once again, a parent that is narcissistic or a narcissist I talked to my priest recently about this exact issue because right now in my transition I've been kind of like is this going to be the same thing it's like trying to you know I, I 
I bother the people in my church a lot with this stuff because I'm like, are do you, you bother them or do you ask them? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no one's had a problem with me. <laughs> I just say that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> figure myself right now. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, asking about this and they, they, even in some of the prayers I've heard, people have been telling me like, Hey Mia, like God does not want to absorb you. Like, this is not about losing your identity. This is about becoming more fully yourself, not getting rid of yourself. They see sin as a disease that's corrupting the natural self. And God comes, and Christ comes to heal that so that we can be more of ourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we haven't, you know, that language was just a lot better to me than the whole, like, just... I don't know, for, for all, for as beautiful as I've found Protestant theology to be, especially at the seminary we went to, which did a fabulous job, mm-hmm. I feel like the job they did isn't going out into the churches for some reason, but we're not defining some of the crucial terms. Like, we're defining things like homeosis, blah, blah. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, all these great big concepts and heresies, but I feel like, uh, for myself and for lay people, we need things as simple as obey your husband defined not just said love your mm-hmm. wife defined not just said self-love needs defined like we have too many counter examples and you know it's one of those things where i don't know if that's just because coming from my background i really need that defined but you know i've had clients who are domestic violence victims who will stay with people because of verses like this yeah mm-hmm. i like what you said about like not being absorbed and And I have heard, like, in some churches, it's briefly talked about where we are, we are becoming more of what God originally created us to be when we die to ourselves. So dying to yourself isn't, like, erasing yourself. It's becoming essentially more human as we were originally intended to be. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's not explained very much. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, great. That's a wonderful concept what does it mean? Yeah. What does that look like? Does that mean that when I want to wear a pretty dress to church that I should wonder if I'm giving glory to God or making it about me? Like, you know, how nitty gritty are we going to take this dying to self thing? Cause it, it's, I don't know where the line is. And sometimes I think, you know, it could be as simple as die to self means if you have the decision to sin or not die to that urge to sin and choose the thing that's not a sin. But then you go into, um, especially for children of narcissists, like, I'm just a walking sinful machine. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't trust my own intentions. So maybe I am wearing the pretty dress out of a sinful reason, and I just don't know it. Yeah. I was going to say that exact thing. Like, I feel like people interchange, like, fleshly desires. And I say that with air quotes. (laughs) But kind of like what like this sinful nature part of you would like to do or like the fleshly desire or whatever that means um versus like yourself so I feel like they interchange all of those terms and just like see them all as one thing yeah but when you say the self and especially coming from like a psychological background like it's not the same (laughs) um and so yeah I think the lack of definition is definitely um, something that could be improved upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also kind of wonder about like generational things. Cause I feel like the older generation talk 
in a shame-based way just all the time Hmm. like to themselves to kids to everybody and so I think we're at the cusp of like a new generation becoming pastors um where it's shifting slightly but I kind of wonder like how much of it is just that too it's like that's just how they talk to themselves so it's how it like comes across Hmm. that's a Um, good point yeah because I have seen, you know, of course, and again, disclaimer, a lot of older people that are really great with this stuff that have actually been helpful to me in my journey. Shout out to my own counselor. But (laughs) there's, there is this, I, I, when you hear older generations talk to themselves, you're right. They shame themselves. Like I I had a, a woman the other day who was an older woman who was talking about, you know, oh, I was so stupid. I did this thing and oh, silly me. And I, I mean, it's just so much. I'm like wow, we weren't all raised by narcissists, were we? Like, what? what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just something I've observed that, like, makes me really sad for them, you know, of, like, oh, like, I feel like this is how you talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really about me, even when they're talking to me. I'm more like, oh, like, I think this is what you think about you mm-hmm. and what you think you should be like if you're following Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, out of your own stuff but then if I'm not aware of that like it would be really hurtful some of the things that are being said well this is also the generation and I don't mean to get political on here um, I think you guys know that we're really really nervous about making sure we stay in the gray area <laughs> but uh, uh, this is also the same generation that was taught that your job and your career you give everything you were overwork you work as hard as you can you dress a certain way and I've seen in in the news recently that they're looking at our generation like what the heck are you doing trying to um, negotiate your pay or standing up to your boss or asking for more boundaries or more time off you don't do that that they were taught that that's not professional and from our point of view, we're looking at them going like, how did you guys get by? That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my husband, maybe not so lovingly, but jokingly had said like, congratulations, you succumbed to brainwash. And it's like, you know, from our generation, it does look like that. But, you know, of course, looking at the other side of things, our, our generation could stand to be more professional sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, and we're millennials, if y'all were wondering. (laughs) (laughs) We we are millennials, so, yeah. I think one thing I've seen, too, from the older generation is still still a little bit of that distrust of psychology in general. Mm -hmm. And and I think some of that distrust is definitely, like, warranted because... and, And I've heard people preach that from the pulpit, too, that, well we can't trust psychology because it's all about the self and it's all about like everything you do is okay and we're just going to validate all your emotions and behaviors and everything and Mm. just tell you you can follow your heart do what you want and yes sure there's definitely some of that out there but at the same time I feel like when they're condemning all of psychology and self-love and self-worth and all that kind of stuff I don't think they're understanding that as like counselors we're like more often than not dealing with people who when it comes to self-worth we're not we're not trying to tell them you everything you do is okay like you Mm -hmm. hung the moon yes yeah (laughs) we're more trying to teach them like hey it's okay for you to eat more than one meal a day right like that it's okay to take care of your body you need to get some fluids in it's okay to get more than three hours of sleep a night like that is trying to help 
someone build their sense of self-worth and self-care and like like you said like helping them not call themselves stupid all the time which more often than not gets them into a rut more than it helps them right like we're counselors are trying to and psychology a, a good chunk of it as you said there are some bizarro chunks out there <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. um but a good chunk of it is to empower someone not enable them like if we were to just you know be a yes man to our clients and say that everything they did is shiny and beautiful well, that would not set them up well for life. Mm -hmm. And so that's not actually doing our job. You know, so that's not what we're doing. We're having, we're talking about things like toxicity, how to set healthy boundaries, how to, you know, but especially just in our niche, the three of us who happen to work in trauma disorders, we are going to be less likely to see the people who, um, I think they're all worried about us, um, you know, praising too much. We're getting the people with, with some of the same issues either we have or went through chronic chronic abuse and I think most people know that like if well they don't know most people who go through um chronic abuse are going to come out with very very similar emotional issues as to the things we're talking about and then some more Mm -hmm. I also think and I know we're going to talk about this later but I think attachment really plays a huge role in your relationship with the church and with God because like your attachment style is going to impact how you view attachment with God and with Mm -hmm. others in the church. And I think that comes out in preaching. I think it comes out in understanding texts. And so when you're in conversations with other people with different attachment styles, like you're going to run into that um, confusion. And so I think there is like a really big triggering part that does have to do with attachment with the church and so I know we're going to talk about that more and then be able to address that further. But I think that's like the last thing that keeps coming up for me. But I know we haven't really talked about it. No, that's beautiful, though. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all attaching differently. And the way you view God is based solely in how you viewed your parents until you can get around to changing that and looking at that differently. You kind of can't help that, you know. That's your first experience of love and relationship is, is through the people who raised you. And so you're going to just automatically project that onto God and probably everyone else until you can be aware of that. So wondering uh, what else has been triggering to you guys in the church about the church under the church? I had, I had a trigger happen just last Sunday that I was thinking of back when Presley was talking about family a little bit, which kind of related, but one of the things that happened was the, the pastor showed prayers that have been written out on little prayer cards by some of the kids in our church and it it was great like in the sense like he asked for the kids permission to show it to the congregation and he asked for their parents permission before he like before he showed them to people and got their permission but seeing those prayers was really triggering for me because there was just like all of this like kind of like all or nothing thinking black and white thinking where it's like god you're so awesome you're the best and then this sense then they would say things like i deserve to die but you love me anyway and you Mm. saved me and and like on the one hand i understand what they're saying like the consequence of sin is death yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) but on the other hand i'm like oh my gosh what are we teaching these kids like hey god i'm worthless i'm so glad you like me anyhow Mm. like and it's like oh no like and so that was really triggering to me seeing that and 
reminded me too of different cards I would write to my parent growing up where it was all about like oh you sacrifice so much for us you love us so much you have you suffer so much and then a lot of that ended up getting thrown back in my face later on so Mm -hmm. so even things like praising God can be triggering sometimes as crazy as that sounds yeah what that reminded me of is how uh, you're only allowed to relate to Bible characters when they do something bad. If they do something good, you have to be like, wow, I'll never be like them. So if you win, you're prideful or claiming the glory, and now suddenly you're losing again. That's Mm. kind of how it feels from where I'm sitting. That's so interesting because I always was taught or, like, always was modeled when reading the Bible stories to, like, view myself as Jesus. Or to view myself as, like, the good character, like, the good Samaritan. Um, Because that's how my parent did that. Wow. And so I didn't even think about putting myself in, like, another character's shoes or, like, being the person who needed help or being the person who didn't do the right thing until I got to seminary. Like, two years into it. Whoa. And I was like, wait, people read it this way? And it, like, opened up a whole new you know, perspective slash world, but like, yeah. And I, I thought everybody read it that way. Wow. <laughs> but y'all are saying the opposite. Yeah, no, I'm, I, what I was used to growing up was more like in church, they would, if we talked about, if they were talking about like a character who did something really good, like the good Samaritan, then they were like, wow, look at how great this person did. None of us are like that. We need to be more like them. And then if they were talking about something that a bible character did that was bad it was like can't we all relate we need to be less like this person though yeah yeah i just have like memories of my parent being like i would do that i would stop and give the shirt off of my back wow it was like always like because you're supposed to be more christ-like right so you like yeah. die to self and be more christ-like so it's like you viewed yourself as that position to learn like what you should do because that's you are that's christ-like you know what i mean yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what's this he must increase, I must decrease thing? Because that that one gets brought up a lot by people and prayers, and I feel like it's probably being ripped out of context. I think of that verse where um, Jesus says, like, "Get get behind me, Satan, and people are like, if I'm in the way, I'm doing harm. Mm. I don't know if that's my own stuff, though, because I feel like me existing harms people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I view both of those things. But I feel like I feel like that's the connection people are making is like, I need to get out of the way or I'm blocking Jesus from do- as if like you could stop like Jesus's. <laughs> yeah. As if you, you could, know. Right. Yeah. But it's like, I need to get out of the way or get behind me, Satan. Like, that's me. Yeah, I have viewed it in that way, and then I've also viewed it in the die-to-self way Mm -hmm. of, like, hey, you need to just kind of disappear. But it it almost seems like I was told by someone recently that a good way of looking at that is putting Christ... It means putting the highest thing in the highest place, that Christ and God are deserve to be at the top. And so our life rightly ordered is him up there, not us up there. But it doesn't mean we're not up there, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that verse, he must increase, I must decrease. I, for, I forget the context, but I feel like it, it was Paul who said that, right? Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was Paul. And, Let's do some research. And I'm thinking, if I remember correctly, 
that the context of that might have been Paul talking about how people were going around and taking pride in like who they had baptized and everybody was kind of like aligning to certain leaders at that time John the Baptist and then oh John the Baptist okay then I'm wrong about that uh let's see it's concerning to some that Jesus was preaching the same message and baptizing that some are bypassing John altogether okay so so it's similar like so people were starting to leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus instead and then John the Baptist is saying that's okay stop trying like because some of his people were getting upset like oh no Jesus is stealing everybody and John the Baptist was like that's okay he must increase I must decrease it's not about John the Baptist being a worthless dude (laughs) it's about John the Baptist saying like well no Jesus is the one who's going to save everybody I'm just preparing everybody for him so it's okay like it's okay like this is a good sign and while that's a beautiful thing I don't think he was like and thus I spoke this life lesson into all of your lives like sometimes I feel like we read the bible and if we keep reading it out of context then we're like new philosophy for life I'm gonna hang that on my wall and it's like look that has a context to it which feels a lot better even though wow yeah it'd be great to emulate John the Baptist in that in that way I think he would probably shudder at the way we're trying to do it now Yeah, I think about some of those famous quotes, and I'm like, the people who have them hung, including myself, I'm not, I'm not saying that I know, but they don't know the verses before or after. Yeah. You know? Yep. Or like the context of Mm. what it's saying. And so... They think that Paul said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sam. Um, Didn't want to say anything. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I think it's also those cliches of like... Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And he only gives his toughest battles to his strongest warrior. Oh, my goodness. If I was a therapist (laughs) and I said that to a client, I wouldn't have any clients. That's an awful... I just think we say awful things to each other using the Bible. Yes. Like, funerals. That's a hot one where they say the worst things. This... This kind of transitions into another trigger that I've experienced at church, which is all about, like, how the church deals with emotions. And some churches do this better than others, but I've been to plenty where emotions are seen as part of the self. And since the self is bad, emotions are bad, too, unless you're happy and joyful for the Lord. Yeah. And that triggers me a ton. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't... (sighs) Joy in the Lord. Um, again, like I've said, I've been... Be a strong warrior for the Lord. Yeah. And like I said, I've been, been bothering my priest with this. We're asking him, Presley. I've been asking him. And um, for <laughs> for this one, um, let's talk about joy in the midst. And I love that because there's a lot of rich nuance there in that, like we tell our clients, you can feel the tension of two emotions at the same time and they don't have to cancel each other out. Just because you're mourning someone doesn't mean you don't have joy in the Lord. Just because you have joy in the Lord doesn't mean you're not allowed to mourn someone. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, mean allowed, doesn't mean you're not allowed to feel all sorts of mixed emotions. You can be, you know, you depressed people do this all the time. We, you know, have a great time laughing with each other, but we're depressed. Okay? It doesn't cancel out, you know? And... Um, So I think that churches are kind of sending this message that any negative emotion means you're not trusting God. Um, And any positive emotion, they 
it's gotten to that weird presentational thing that we're all doing at church now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think I can be a really judgmental person sometimes, but it, so, you know, understand. I mean, no, I'm thinking <laughs> like, yeah, me like, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like going into church's greeter mentality, like I've called it before, you know, people are looking into your eyes, like just with this shining, like, oh, I'm just loving that you're here. I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, what, what is this? You know, and I think they're trying to do that thing where they're like, they will know us by our love. But I'm like, but your love doesn't feel genuine because you don't even know me. Mm-hmm. Like, you're you're loving the idea of me or you're really hoping I'm not a Christian so that I'm just bought in. And then as soon as you figure out I am one, it's like, oh, okay, you're good. You know, it's like, hey, what are you doing for the church, by the way? It's like this bait and switch. Like, if you're not a Christian, everything in the world is done for you and so much love comes your way. And then as soon as you're in, you're in and it's what are you doing for mm-hmm. the rest of the flock? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, to your point, um, can't feel emotions in church either, you know, unless you're charismatic, so. Yeah, I'm almost, like, aggressively negative <laughs> to balance it out. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Like, people, like, this, I remember this girl's, like, moving, and people are like, well, your next adventure waits. But you can tell she's, like, really sad. Yeah. And I was like, that's really sad and hard and, like, you know, like, I mm-hmm. think it just sucks. Like, you know, and I just said that I was like, I think it just sucks right now. And this other girl was like, so she was like, yeah. And then this other girl was like, but you have, you know, you just like mm. had to put the silver lining on it. Mm. Yeah. Um, no one did that when Jesus wept. <laughs> right. right. And it's like, <laughs> good point. and it's like, I don't think that's totally a negative thing. Like, I think probably she wants her to be excited or she's like, well, I'm sad. I don't want to cry right now. So like, I'm going to say all these things that are Mm. exciting about that right because like they're good friends so Mm -hmm. it's just like I don't even think it's a negative thing but I almost am like aggressive about it because I was like no that just sounds hard (laughs) you know like because I'm just like almost wanting to force everybody to just be like can we just sit with like hardness yeah like you know like do we have to have both which I think both are important right like I'm not saying totally you know don't acknowledge the positive part of it but it's like I'm almost want justice for negativity. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, so there's a beautiful thing that off. can be found in just sitting with someone in their pain, you know? And I do think that people are trying to like uplift, mm-hmm. but sometimes you got to wonder like, it are you uplifting because well. you feel uncomfortable with mm-hmm. my pain or because you actually want to uplift me? Yeah. And when you grow up with a narcissistic parent who's like, you need to be happy all the time because your emotions are inconvenient for me otherwise, mm-hmm. then it feels like when, at least for me, like when I walk into church, it's like, oh great, I have to put on a show again and I have to not be myself, not express my emotions because otherwise it's going to be an inconvenience for all of these people. Yes. Uh, brilliantly said. That reminds me, I... I went to church like two weeks ago and I'd had a horrible week and y'all guys know and people were like how's your week and I was like it was truly just bad like you know like I was like it was awful and um people were like oh just like so taken aback that I would say that mm-hmm. and then um I said something like yeah like this part about church is just really hard for me like I was just being like really honest and the response I always get is like thank you so much for sharing that. Or like, Mm. oh, you were so, you were comfortable enough to share. And it's like so fascinating because I'm like, to me, it's like not that big of a deal to share. You know, like it's just, it's like, it's the truth. And I feel like I always get this response of like, 
wow, you just shared that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I actually, like, really loved the people. And, like, I really like this church. And, like, their responses don't even bother me. It's just, like, I've noticed that it's, like, it's almost like you're you're doing something different from the mold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that's expected. But what I've noticed is when you do that, it opens the way for other people to be a little bit more honest. Right. Um, which, which is, you know, a healing, healing force. But that does bring up a good point that we've gotten to the place where it's so unexpected that saying just the surface to them, they're like, wow, you just shared. I'm like, bro, you don't even know. Like, like thank I you just, so much for your vulnerability. And I'm like, I'm like girl, that uh, wasn't vulnerable. We just scratched <laughs> the surface right there. I yeah. just told you I had a bad day. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Um, something you had said about the greeting mm-hmm. reminded me of this experience I had where I was visiting a church and before you go, they make a tunnel on like either side of the doors leading to the pews. And when you go through, they all are clapping and cheering excessively. Oh, I don't want to go. And so like, <laughs> as you're going through, they're like clapping their hands and being like, you made it like screaming, like it's a concert. Mm-hmm. And just, like, all, like, and it's, like, 30 people, like, doing this. And you're going through the tunnel, high-fiving everyone. And it was, like, my first time ever going. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, half of me was, like, mortified yeah. and feeling the way you were feeling, like, you were saying, Mia. And half of me was, like, enjoying it. Yeah. And so I think there's this thing of, like, when I, when I... When someone sees you, you feel like you come alive or like you're important. Mm -hmm. And I think like it did do that. But then it's also like you wouldn't have known because you're just cheering for this crowd. Right. Hmm. So it's like the kind of the fakeness of like, do you really see me? Like, am I really important? But I I genuinely felt both at the same time, Mm -hmm. which was interesting. And I think... I don't know. I guess that's all I really wanted to say. No, it was an interesting experience. I have this issue with, um, it goes back to the narcissistic parent, but like I'd say to my counselor and like I've had clients say to me, like, you're just nice to everyone though. So like, mm. are you actually interested in me and my specific issues as a person or are you just doing your counseling thing as a good counselor? You know, I've said it, it's been said to me, but it goes back to stuff with like my narcissistic parent. Um, I often feel like I was liked for my achievements or, um, I was liked for what I was doing for them, but she didn't actually know who I was. And so when I feel like I go into church, it's kind of the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. you care about me because you know that everyone's made in the image of God and that you're supposed to love everyone. You care about me because I'm, you know, walking on two legs here, but, I feel like I could look completely different. I could be anybody and you would be doing this. So it doesn't really speak to my heart because you're not trying to touch my soul. You're just trying to treat me with courtesy and general goodwill and and call that amazing. Okay, so I know that we've like, we've talked about a lot of different triggers like that, but I'm also like, I'm thinking about how again, like how other people tend to respond when I try to talk to them about this. What, what do you all feel like when people say, well, you can be the change in the church? Yeah. I heard in in response to some of this stuff. 
I heard a pastor, several pastors, who have said before, when someone comes up to me in my congregation and says this is the program they want, I say, well, I think I found the person for the job and I stick my hand on their shoulder. You know, if you're feeling like it's needed, then it's a calling for you. Like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> if, like, imagine if that would work, like, in our world. It's like, hey, you know, I just lost my spouse. Like, I think we should start a grief group. Like, I think I just found the person for the job. No, they need help. <laughs> like, <laughs> Welcome to this sinking ship. I am the captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, thanks. You don't even know what was going on in my life. Like, I am, like, what if I have, like, 12 children? Like, I do not have the time. And now if I ignore the pastor, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm going against, you know, God's calling in my life. Yeah. Like, we need a whole other episode on what the heck that phrase even means, calling on my life. I mean, my first response, which I was like, yikes, girl, <laughs> was like, okay, great, give me a salary and I'll sign on. <laughs> You know, like, it's just like they won't, they don't want, I don't think they like want this, but it feels like you just want free labor out of me. Mm-hmm. Like that whole sacrifice thing again. Yeah. And then you're going to benefit. And then like, I don't know, not in like a tick for tack way, but like, I don't know. It just makes me feel like used, used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, then hire me and give me a salary or hire or like give the job to someone who's already on your staff. Which, like you're already paying. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think this says a lot, though, about, like, because at least some of what I'm getting from this is, like, when, when someone's saying things like, well, whenever someone wants a change in the church, I put my hand on their shoulder and say, like, I think I found the right person for it. Like, they're, they're, like, all of these things, I think, make it difficult for pastors themselves to set boundaries and to mm-hmm. get their needs met because they're not allowed to have needs either. either yeah. They're supposed to be dying to themselves too. And and so they're running themselves ragged a lot of times. Not all the time, but some of the time. And and so it's like, well, great, here's someone with a problem mm-hmm. and they have a complaint. Well, I'm just going to put this back on them because I don't have, like, my plate's full already. Mm-hmm. So I have another disclaimer I wanted to throw in, um, <laughs> but I think I just want to say, like, when we're having this conversation, it's really, like, our truest, deepest, wounded feelings, mm-hmm. and so they're going to come across, like, not as nuanced as we really do think about them, um, and I think the way that we view pastors or the way that we're triggered, some of it is our responsibility to heal and to work through and it's not the pastor's responsibility to know everyone's trauma triggers and address them and make sure they're not well said stepping on everything and some of it is the church's responsibility too um and so I just wanted to put that out there no I think especially at the point we've gotten to now it's good to keep reiterating that that again you're hearing three people who are acons and who also don't know the line between how much is us and how much is them and you know what tomorrow you won't hear it but tomorrow we might all wake up and go you know what we're just the scum of the earth and everything's our fault <laughs> i can't believe we just said that you know so i mean you, you just never know <laughs> in the life of an why was i upset yeah. why was i upset there's nothing wrong he's a great guy <laughs> we all really like our churches yeah. Yeah. we participate we're working through it 
in the context of community, like we're doing all those things. So, you know, we do have a love for it too. Yeah, Which is part of why we wanted to do this podcast because most of the people that I've heard at least going through this have left the church. What does it look like to love the church and be in the church while you're struggling with the church? And I think that's the unique position we want to give that Mm -hmm. we're all committed. We're all doing this. We're all still believers. We're all still going to church. We're all still finding a lot of good stuff there. Um, but we do want to acknowledge that it's not easy. Yeah. I'm thinking like if I were a listener, (laughs) I'm thinking like, well, how much do you put yourself through harm before you leave? Hmm. And like, well, are y'all just like staying in a place where you shouldn't? In an abusive place. Right. Right. Because, um, I think you could kind of compare it to DV. It's like, well, how much hurt do you put? For yourself to stick with something. I feel like we should do like a whole podcast on that. Okay. And and mm-hmm. just talk about like when do you I think that's a good fair question. Yeah, when do you leave? Mm-hmm. Like, is it okay to leave? How much yes. do you put yourself through? Because some churches really are that unhealthy. Yeah. And if you feel like you have to stick around like we're doing to try and do what we're doing or because you think that's what the bible is saying or because you doubt yourself yeah (laughs) then that could be really bad yeah yeah and we all have stories of like taking a break or like Mm -hmm. staying too long and like what were the symptoms that like okay this is traumatizing versus helpful running out of the service in tears right Mm -hmm. and because now i i don't feel like i'm traumatizing myself going to church but i also do it really differently now so Mm -hmm. when before i did think i was doing that so i think that's something we could definitely talk about yeah that would be great it's good all right well this is a long one but i think good and now we're going to end with some mindfulness to um keep the structure so once again if you're driving or doing something where it would be unsafe for you to do mindfulness or close your eyes you can pause it here or come back to it or just listen with your eyes open um But I want you to just think of the phrase, I'm lovable. And as you think of that phrase, I'm wondering if an image comes to your mind. It could be a color. It could be the words, I'm lovable. Or it can be a memory, an image. And as you focus on the words, I'm lovable, and whatever came to your mind, I'm wondering... If you do a body scan, what's coming up in your body? So start with your toes and scan up through your whole body. And it might be a calming sensation. It might be an activating sensation. Just kind of noticing. Then as you focus on the words, I'm lovable, and whatever image came to your mind, And if it was also darkness, that's okay, too. Um, Think about what emotions are coming up. And just start naming the emotions that you're having. And if during this time you're having any doubt, negative emotions, anxiety, I wonder if you could go pay attention to that part whether it's an emotion or it's held in your body and offer it some comfort maybe a hug maybe you just sit with that part of your body 
when you come back to the words, I'm lovable, do you have a new image or the same one? And if you want to remember the sensation or the acknowledgement of being lovable, um, think of a word that encompasses the image that came up for you. I want you to say that word silently in your head and immediately think of the words, I'm lovable. Lean into the body sensations. And if you need a reminder throughout your week, you can always just say that word in your mind and hold that you are lovable. If that's too much to believe for yourself right now, you can give it to someone in your life or a character or a pet that you think does think that you're lovable. And think of them and let them remind you that you're lovable. When you're ready, you can take a couple deep breaths and open your eyes and return back to your space. And we look forward to talking to you guys soon. That was our fourth episode, and I can say my cat definitely feels like she's lovable. So, <laughs> Catch you all next time.